0: Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? That was no response. I had one good. Man, George, I'm glad you're doing good this morning. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you. Uh, hey, this morning, again, we, uh, we started three other classes during this hour, and I was wondering, okay, who's going up at the early service? So it's those who wanted to get here and worship. It's great to have you all. Um, again, it's always a joy to look at God's word, look at God's people, and be reminded, He's beautiful. Is he not? And what what a great uh, beauty that he rubs off on us and we can reflect. How gracious is that? As we continue our series, we just started it last week in the book of Acts. Uh, We are going to now turn to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn there. If you don't have one, you'll find the uh, scripture that I'm going to be preaching on in your bulletin there. It'll also be on your screen. Uh, The series entitled is called Empowered to Tell. And it's amazing how God uses us to be his storytellers, uses us to tell the good news that the reality is that God really is beautiful and God really is for us and God really is with us and God really chooses to use us to tell his story, to advance his kingdom, to make his name famous. Today we're going to see how he empowers us to do that. He's given us an amazing task. He gave, matter of fact, 12 the task to go into all the world uh, and to tell good news. He tells us that same story, and he empowers us for that. So, again, let me start with a quick word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, the reality is you are beautiful. And anything that we see that is beautiful is only because it's a reflection of you It's creator. Father, the reality is, is your son. He is most beautiful. Physically, he apparently wasn't much to look at, Scripture says. And yet, his beauty, the inward beauty, the beauty of God in flesh, has never been seen. Nothing will ever be like it again. And Father, we ask that your spirit, the spirit, the beautiful Holy Spirit would come. And come and be with us in a way that, that we could see the beauty, the beauty of your son. The beauty of our triune God. That God, that you would give me words that are, that are beautiful because they're your words and not mine. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. There are events that happen in our lives and in our world that changes everything. Is it not true? I mean, there really are. There are events that happen that change everything. As a matter of fact, our nation just celebrated, or just remembered, I guess I should say, one of those events at 9-11. I mean, 9-11 changed everything in our lives. I mean, certainly it changed the way we see the world. Has it not? It's changed the way we see America. I mean, how many of you all travel? I mean, does it not change immediately the way you travel? Did you ever think you'd go when you'd take off your shoes, your belt, everything you have, you'd empty everything out? I mean, pass through security. I mean, 9-11, it changed everything. But there's also events that happened to us or happened in our world, I should say, that also changed everything that we don't remember. The shot heard around the world. Uh, there in Concord, Massachusetts in 1775, that that first shot that, that initiated a war, a war with a bunch of ragtag Minutemen and, and colonists that would all of a sudden take on the world's greatest power of Britain. And that one shot heard around the world, and some of you are thinking, Bobby Thompson's 1951 home run to win the pennant? No. Shallow people like me. That one shot. It would change everything, and now we can gather, and you know what? We're free, and the reality is is we can can worship, and we don't have to be afraid. What an amazing thing. Well, this morning we are going to look at truly the one event, and I promise you there's a lot of hyperbole that preachers like to say, but there is one event that we're going to focus on in Scripture today that literally, truly changed the world forever. It was on the day of Pentecost, and the promise of the Father the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come upon Christ's apostles and followers, and it forever changed their world, and it forever changed our world. This morning, as we look into Acts chapter 2 uh, and the event that changed the world, we're going to see three things. We're going to see how it changed the world. What was the event and how it changed the world? Secondly, we're going to look at how did it specifically change the world of those followers of Christ? Those 120 of those 12 apostles and the 120 that could gather. Remember what I said last week. We're looking at a part of Christian history when the entire Christendom could fit on the floor right here at Orangewood. Look what God has done. This is the event that took this from this room. Fitting in this room to not fitting anymore into this world. Such good news. We'll see how it changed their world. And then lastly, we have to see how, how to change our world. This happened a long time ago. How did it change our world and and for God's glory? What does it mean for us? So let's look at this great book. It's a history book of the New Testament. Uh, We can trust it because it was given to us by the pen of Luke, but more importantly, inspired God breathed uh, God's presence through Luke. It's holy and active. It will never lead us astray. This morning, we'll look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through twenty. One, Please read along silently with me as I read aloud. Hear God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Be amazed. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one, of, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia. Phrygia. And Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We were hear them. We hear them telling in our tongue the mighty works of God. Let me just stop there for just a moment and say this: Why in the world did he just give us kind of a table of nations? We'll find more about that in a minute. It's really beautiful. But remember last week, if you were here, they were told you're going to go into all the world and you're going to tell good news. And this good news of the wonders of what God has done through his son, Jesus's life, death and resurrection is going to change everything. And now God is giving them proof, tangible proof that right there gathered was, guess what? The world right there where they're going to go to tell the story. The table of nations happened to be there in Jerusalem. It still is an international city and they all were hearing the mighty works of God. Can you imagine how encouraging this was to them? Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, well, what does this mean? We'll unpack that today. But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day or 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, an Old Testament prophet. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on your male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, let us pray. Oh, Father God, I thank you for this amazing event. This life-changing event. This pouring out of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, on your followers. Father, we thank you that everyone there, that Crazy day, that amazing day, were able to hear with their own tongue, their own language, the mighty works of God. Father, it is my deepest prayer and longing that this morning that everyone would be able to hear with their own ears the mighty works of God and how this event changed the world, changes our world, all for your glory. So, Father, give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth, and feet that walk in obedience to your name and calling. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to follow along in the bulletin, there'll be an outline for you. The first thing is this, is the event that changed the world in verses uh, 1 through 4. And and what happened at this event? Well, Jesus had promised, and as a matter of fact, Jesus said the Father had promised. This is the promise of the Father. A special delivery. As God's story is unfolding a story of how God loves us and rescues us, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to come and empower us to do that which God has called us to do. Did you hear what I just said? God is so amazingly gracious that he sent his son to do that which we were supposed to do and die the death that we deserve to die in our place so that we can live And now God is even more gracious that he's going to pour out uh, his Holy Spirit on us, those who have the tendency to deny, those who are afraid. And he's going to pour his Spirit on us so that we are empowered to do that which he's called us to do. When this happened, it says they were all together. They were all in one place. I, just, I know I've said this a few times. I just can't get over the amazing power of the gospel and how it started so weakly, so feebly. After the crucifixion of Jesus, a lot of people were scratching their heads saying, man, we thought he was the Messiah. What was that all about? And as you remember last week that Jesus had met with the 11 uh, over 40 days and teaching them about the kingdom of God and promising this event. He said there's an event that's coming that's going to change the world. It's going to change you. And then they're going to ask, what well, we need to ask, well, what does this mean? Now, I want to show you this morning that this event changed time. It really did. It changed time. In biblical terms, time was flipped over because of this event. We'll get to that this morning. We're going to see that through this event, God forever changed the way he dwells with his people. Through this one event, he forever changed the way he dwells with his people. Listen, through this one event, he forever changed the way he communicates with his people. Through this one event, he forever changes the way he empowers his people. But before we understand the event, and here's the challenge of every pastor like me. Uh, before we understand the event, we got to understand the backstory to the event. Because there's such an amazing beauty to this story when you understand the backstory, or, or maybe the Old Testament story that led up to this. It's kind of like this. Have you gone to see a Harry Potter film? Have you seen a uh, uh, Lord of the Rings film? Have you seen one of the, the Star Wars films? And, and you jump in right in the middle. And there's probably things that people are seeing that are happening in this story that have already seen the backstory saying, Oh, I know who that is. And I know why they're acting like this. And I remember what has happened that got us here. So we need to, uh, uh, just for a few moments, look at the backstory of what was happening here to really understand what is happening in this story. The first thing is this Jack read this morning from Genesis 11. And as Jack read from Genesis 11, he talks about this, what we call the curse of Babel. The curse of Babel was something that happened that made languages uh, appear and and divide. It was an interesting thing because God's plan, hang in the mirror with me, God's plan has always been for man and women, as his image, to fill the earth with his glory. That's what he's created us to do. He created a place where God and man can can dwell together in harmony called the Garden of Eden. And he says, for us to now fill the whole earth, make it all inhabitable for God and man to dwell together. That's been our plan. That's been his plan from day one. It still is. So what does man do? Well, man gets together and all of mankind goes to this really cool plane. And they said, hey, let's, let's settle down right here. And let's not just settle down like here, right here. Let's build a name for ourselves. Now, that may sound okay when, when someone says, hey, let's make a name for ourselves. But this is amazingly repugnant to God. Because God made them to have a name, his name fill the earth, not theirs. And then they even had the audacity to say, not only should we make a name for ourselves, let's build our own tower to heaven and tell God how we're going to relate to him. Really repugnant to God. And God is so powerful and so merciful, he's going to say, I'm going to come down to earth and look at your little tower and your little plan and say, no, this has never been my design. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to divide your language. And you're you're going to do what I've called you to do. Go to the ends of the earth and fill it. And now Pentecost is the reverse of that. Now they have been scattered. Their language was divided. And here we see this amazing beauty that God is now uniting their language through the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And now to fill the earth with his gospel. The story is so beautiful. Beautiful. Pentecost is the reverse of Babel. Christ's kingdom has come. And now he's unifying the world through the good news of the gospel. And they're all hearing with their own language. It's amazing to fill the earth. Well, that's the backstory of, of, of Babel, if you're familiar with the Bible. But there's more to that. You see, this word Pentecost, we have to figure out something was happening. It was called the Day of Pentecost. This is a Jewish holiday that we need to learn a little bit more about to make this make sense. They had just experienced Passover. Passover was a very important holiday for the nation of Israel. It reminded them when they were in slavery how God called them out of slavery and gave them their own land. Called them out of Egypt. And the way he is able to call them out of Egypt is he sent plagues on the Egyptians. And the last one was the worst. It was the death of a firstborn son. And God says, the only way that you're going to be passed over by this plague is if you take a a lamb and you sacrifice it. And you take the blood of this lamb and you put it over your your door. And I know for you and me it sounds like, what a crazy story. But you see, the whole story links and makes sense is because God passes over sinners and judgment because of the blood of the lamb. And guess who the blood of the lamb really points to? Guess who the true Passover lamb is? It's Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus who is the, uh, Scripture tells us, is the true Passover lamb. And it's through his shed blood that we are forgiven and we get life. And so you have this Passover event that has happened. And guess when Jesus was crucified? You know how cool this is? Passover. He's the true Passover. And guess what happened 50 days after Passover? Pentecost. How'd they get 50? It used to be called the harvest of, 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 uh, uh, the feast of harvest or the feast of weeks. It's seven weeks, seven days, 49 plus one, Pentecost, 50 days. Guess what happened at that feast? The first time after uh, the exodus, it was the giving of the law. The giving of the law. Moses, on that day, 50 days later, got the law. Guess what happened on Mount Sinai? I don't have time to tell you. Go to uh, Leviticus 19. All the imaging of thundering and fire was all the same that was right here in Pentecost. Here's the point. Here's the backstory. The first Pentecost, God gave the law. It didn't bring life. This Pentecost, God gives a spirit. And he gives life. The amazing back story for what God is doing uh, through this story. But it's more than that. It's more than just the reversal of Babel. It's more than just seeing Christ as the true Passover. It's more than realizing the Pentecost really makes sense now with the giving of the Spirit. So much better than the giving of the law. It's also the fulfillment of the prophets like Joel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel we got to just spend a minute looking at what were the promises that were given to us. What is the backstory that's being fulfilled? Here's the first one. Because of the giving of the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost, we have a new deal or a new covenant with God. God deals with us differently. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this. The law is now written on our hearts, not on tablets of stone. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here's what God is saying. Moses had these rocks, and he wrote on them, and they were stony. But God's going to deal with this in a different way. He's going to write his law on each one of our hearts. But guess what? Because of sin, our hearts are stony too. And the only way he writes on uh, his law, his truth on our hearts, guess what he has to do? Give us a new one. That's Ezekiel. Listen to what the promise of Ezekiel says. This is a promise that we have a new heart. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, 26, um, where we have a heart from stone to flesh. He says, and I will give you, God says, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from you, uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What amazingly is happening at Pentecost is all these fulfillments of God saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you and write my law on your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. Not only that, he says, I'm going to give you a new calling. That whole passage we read uh, in Acts 2 points to Joel 2, Joel 2, 28. It's the coming of the spirit. Um, Creation uh, and and God's rescuing of us is always about our triune God. There's a Father, there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit. The name above all names is always going to be Jesus. But now we see this, this Holy Spirit take more of a central role in God's story. Now, guess what happens? Now, because of this, we are the temple of God. We are the place that God dwells. There was a time when the nation of Israel would walk by the temple And they would look up to the temple and say, God dwells there in a special way. There's a place up there called the Holy of Holies and only one man could ever go in there one time. That's where God dwells. Can you imagine being in a city where God says, I'm gonna put my name there uniquely and God says, I'm gonna dwell there uniquely. Can you imagine how much you'd wanna go there? That's why they still do. But God says, I got something better. The place where I dwell now is gonna be inside of you. I'm gonna pour out my Holy Spirit And you will now become, ready for this, the temple of God. And the people of the world should walk by us and say, You know where God dwells? Inside of you, inside of her, inside of him. That's where now God dwells. It's not in a building, it's not in a temple, it's not in a tabernacle. We are that tabernacle, we are that temple. And now, not only that, we are the storytellers. We are the prophets. We are the ambassadors. It says in, in previous times, there were, there were visions and dreams that God communicated. But guess how he communicates now? Through us. That's the backstory. Time changed. Time changed. Did you notice what happens in this passage? It says, the last days are now here. This event indicated a change of time. That God's calendar, his redemption has changed. What does football communicate to us here who live in Florida when the, when the absolute thermometer still is at 95? 95 doesn't tell us fall is here. For those of us blessed like Steve and I were growing up in the Northeast, we know it's mostly cold. Apples, cold weather, fall. But football, it indicates there's a change of season. Well, there's an indication here that this is a change in time. These are called the last days. What does that mean? I love the fact that when Jesus was talking with the disciples, this is Acts 1 now, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appeared to them, he talked about the kingdom. Their first question was, swing and miss, is this now the time that the kingdom of Israel comes back up? And Jesus says, listen, it's not not for you to know times. It's not for you to know things that God has sent. Here's the point I want to make. These are the last days, and a lot of people want to tell you what each time is and what each day means. And Jesus himself says, it's not for us to know. If someone tells you Jesus is coming back on this date, don't believe him. Because scripture says it's not for us to know. Guess what? It's not for us to know. And it doesn't mean that there's one person, I wanted to say knucklehead, okay, one knucklehead who does know. We don't know. But I'll tell you this, this is what I do know. This is what scripture will allow us to know fully. Jesus is coming back. There's no doubt about it. We just saw that in chapter one, when they were all staring up to heaven saying, oh my goodness, he's really gone. And those those angels came and said, listen guys, he's coming back exactly the same way. Jesus is coming back. The reality is our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, he's coming back to this earth. I know that for sure. But we don't know when. No one knows. Here's what I want you to picture with this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. God took time. And it's like an hourglass. If time were in an hourglass, he flipped it over. And now he said, these are the last days. He could come back today. There'll be people who say, no, no, no. You have to have this happen. You have to have that happen. He can come back today. I hope we're ready. He could come back in another 2,000 years. I don't know. I don't know when he's going to come back. But I do know this. He's not going to lose one. So he won't come back until all his sheep are home. And sometimes I think maybe maybe my great-great great 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 granddaughter. He's got to be patient and wait for her to come home. I don't know. But that's a change of time. God changed time, he changed where he dwells, he changed how he speaks. He changed their world in verses five through thirteen. Uh, Jesus says he's going to empower them with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, we can't, we we hear this, we 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 think, we we forget. We forget who these 11 people were, okay? Let me remind you. God is going to change the world through the apostles, through the 120, through us, and he's going to do it with a bunch of scaredy cats. What have the 11 proven so far? They're really good deniers and they're really good turncoats. What have they proven so far? That they really don't understand when Jesus was talking to them what in the world he meant. I mean, it was even Peter when, when, when God, Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, man, that's exactly right, Peter. You didn't get that from man. You got that from my father. And and then he says, and by the way, guys, Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, I'm going to be betrayed and die. And Peter pulls him aside and says, never to you, Jesus. He didn't get it. Missed it. So. When we see it change their world, you have to understand, picture the 11 huddled in one room, terrified to go out because Romans might kill them because they were with Jesus. They were scaredy cats. They were turncoats. They they, they were not, I mean, they were amazing guys and amazing uh, women that were, were with them. But the reality is they were not empowered. It changed their world. The Holy Spirit came. The lights went on. The gospel really made sense. They understood who Jesus really was. They were empowered to do what God had called them to do. And what did God call them and you and me to do? Be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. He just flipped the switch with the Holy Spirit and says, I'm going to pour them out on you and now you're going to be able to go and tell. And boy, did they tell. The whole world was changed. I love it. It says says this. It says, when people were hearing them speak, and remember, this is not an inaudible tongue they were speaking. This is not that. They were speaking in audible tongues, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. People were hearing the the wonders of God in their own language. And here's what they said you got to see this is great. Aren't those Galileans? You know what they're saying? Aren't those country bumpkins? Who in the world trained these fishermen to speak fluent Arabic, Italian, whatever language was there that was listed? Who are they? It'd be like this. It would be like someone who's born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi and having a someone from Paris. And All of a sudden, that person from Jackson, Mississippi, is speaking French with such beauty and such eloquence that the one from Paris isn't able to do what they love to do, make fun of us Americans for trying to speak French. It's true. I tried it. And it's like, man, isn't that someone from, like, Mississippi? I mean, do they really speak French? That très belle? Magnifique! I couldn't believe it. I love it. It's just the reality is, hey, they're Galileans. These are country bumpkins. These, these, these guys, these are fishermen. Where'd they get this? It changed their worlds. Not only did they become no longer scaredy cats, all of a sudden they began be able to proclaim good news with clarity. Well, lastly, it's the event that changed our world. Verses 14 through 21. And he quotes back to, to this, this prophet Saul. And he says, things are going to forever change. And this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Well, let's look at this a little closer. God's always been a storyteller. God has always been a storyteller. He tells his story in two ways. He tells his story in what we call, theologians would call, general revelation and special revelation. God tells his story just through creation. We should drive over to the beach and we should watch the waves Crash, and we should see the birds fly and we should see the beauty of a sunrise or sunset and say there is no doubt that there is a creator. There is no doubt there's someone who spoke and this came into existence. <laughs> creation, it says, Psalm 19 says this, day and night creation speaks and tells the story of God. Although creation, it speaks, in Romans 1 says creation speaks in a way that we are without excuse for not knowing God. But creation doesn't speak in a way that is clear enough to us to understand salvation. There had to be special revelation, special ways that God speaks to his people. And what happened here is amazing. When Luke says this is a fulfillment of Joel, he talks about things like the prophets All right, and who's going to be now the prophets? The young women, the old women, the slaves, the free. They're all going to now be prophets. Guess who prophets were? They were the ones who spoke for God. How did God speak in the Old Testament? Through prophets and through dreams. And now he says there's something completely different. The end days have come. The ultimate speaker has been, the ultimate prophet is Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit comes. And we are the ones, all of flesh, all of who believe are to be his storytellers. That's what he's saying. It's not just the apostles. It's not just the prophets. It's not just the dreamers. It's you. If you're a follower of Christ, you now are his witness. You are now his storyteller. He pours out his Holy Spirit on you now that you are the ones. And he kind of uses the same language. We're the ones who have the prophecy and dream dreams. And and God uses dreams in other parts of the world a little bit more clearly than he does here at times. But the reality is still the same. As he wants to communicate his ultimate truth... Through us, now it doesn't mean that we're speaking new revelation. It doesn't mean that we're speaking new things that God not, has not has, has, hasn't done before. He has empowered us to speak His word, His word in truth. Who does He say it's to? Well, here are His ambassadors. Here are His witnesses. They're young, they're old, they're men, they're women, they're slave and they're free. <laughs> Do you think He wanted to include everybody? God has poured out his spirit. We are now empowered to tell his story. We now live in that end time. It's been 2,000 years. I don't know how many much more. But the end has been, is coming. Now, with this prophecy, we see that some things have been fulfilled. We are now his storytellers. Some things haven't been fulfilled. It talks about a day of the Lord, and there's this like blood, and there's moon, and darkness, and that hasn't come yet. And that's where we live. We live where there's some things that are fulfilled and some things are not. But here's the beauty of this, how this thing ends. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. It always has been. But we are the heralds of that good news. So what does this mean to you is the ultimate question that you have to answer before we leave. What does this mean to you? You can live your life like events that have happened really haven't changed your world. I was once with, sat with a guy who told me that 9-11 really didn't happen, that it was a big conspiracy. And the guy was a security guard. And my one comment, I looked him in the eye and I said, and they issue you a gun. I'm terrified. You could live your life like events haven't really happened. If 9-11 didn't happen, go through airport security. You could live your life like the shot heard around the world didn't really happen, and you can pray tribute to, to the Queen of England and still live, believe that you uh, live according to the authority and power of England. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? That'd be foolish. The most foolish thing that could ever happen is that we could look at this event, this event that changed everything, and say, It really didn't mean anything to me. Because of this event, we now have the power of God unto salvation in the name of Jesus. And that amazingly beautiful name in our faith and trust in him, God separates the sins from us as far as the east is from the west. In the beautiful name of Jesus, God takes those who are dead in trespasses and sins and makes them fully alive in Christ Jesus. In the amazing power of Jesus, he takes those of us who are far off and he brings us near. And he adopts us into his family and he makes us his beloved. That event forever changed my life in the world. And not only does it give us the power to be saved, we now have the power to be witnesses. It is now our time to tell the wonders of God, uh, how wonders of God, how he loves sinners like us, to tell the wonders of God of how he filled us with his Holy Spirit, how he comforts us and how he still uses us today and the power to live our lives as God intended them to be. What does that mean to you? Remember, all that God has asked us to do to be his witnesses, he empowers us to do through the Holy Spirit. How you tapped in to that power. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this event. How miraculous, how wonderful, how amazing that your spirit would come as the Father had promised And the spirit would come and he would fill those ragtag scaredy cats with power. Gave them the ability to proclaim the wonders of God with tongues that were in different languages. So that all could hear that amazing truth. Thank you for the backstory of how this is the reverse of Babel. Thank you that we see that Christ is the true Passover lamb. And that Pentecost is the greater giving of the spirit than the giving of the law. We thank you that now we can see that Jeremiah was right. You've written your law in our hearts. Ezekiel was right. You've given us a new heart to believe that Joel was right, that now the young, the old, the male, the female, the slaves, the free, we all are your witnesses, your storytellers to tell of your wonder. God, this event changed their world. It changed our world. And we ask that that power continues in and through us until Jesus comes back. It's in his name we pray. Amen.